The fourth annual Doctrine and Devotion Conference is going down September 18th and 19th, right here in Chicagoland, Illinois. For all the details, head on over to doctrineanddevotion.com slash conference, but stay tuned. We'll give you a lot more information in just a little bit. Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. Jimmy, um, I'm just wondering, I want to make sure, do you have your phone notifications off? Are they silent? I don't want to be interrupted. Why? What are you doing? No, I just want to know. What are you are doing? They, are, is, is your notifications off Yes, right now? it is okay. off. Right, now, is it in... Is it in do not disturb mode? Do not disturb mode. Yep. Okay. So I've noticed in do not disturb mode, yeah. when I have like, when you have your phone in do not disturb uh-huh. mode, it, you won't get notifications except from your VIPs. No, no, no. I have it set that it's only for repeated callers. So you've turned off no VIPs. Correct. Because okay. I call you. Oh, that's I call so, you. And you're that's always what like, you were hoping to try to get me no, on. No, I had a question. You saw that question. you're on my VIP list. Mm-hmm. And that was your thing of like, oh, here you are not responding to me. Yeah. Because that's because I don't allow VIPs to call me. Okay. Because that's so, but my now, time. But now I know I just call twice. And then it'll get through. That's what I needed to know. Yeah, repeated callers. Okay. If that's you call, all if I you call to back know. within like a certain time frame. See, because here's the thing. I got rid of all of my VIPs except for yeah. a couple, and you're one of them. Let so. me see. Show me. All right, hang on. I got it. And I no, bring my no, phone. no, 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 no. You cannot sit Boom. there. Favorites. Let me see it. Let me see it. Number three. Oh, there's so many people on there. Home gen. Well, no, I haven't deleted those yet. I followed them. <sighs> wow. Here you it's go. The trying to talk mm-hmm. like that. You're number three. three. I'm number three. Home, but, which is the, the home line. The, the line that doesn't exist. That's right. And then Jen, because of my dad. Oh, all right, home. okay, because right. okay. you're dead. All right, mm-hmm. all right, that's fine. All right, listen, I we, I know we, we I know people want to hear us talk about nothing. Yeah, but we've got some stuff to talk about, and we got someone to talk to. Oh yes, you know who's here with us, Joe? Who? Virtually, I don't know. You don't know? No, I can't. All I see is like a, a, a if if a Hawaiian shirt and an African safari shirt no, and no, a no, baby. No, no. Here, no, no, that's, no, that's what see, I'm looking no, you at got, on the screen. You're, you're missing something. Oh. If you had the Hawaiian shirt, mm-hmm. African shirt, yeah. And the Shekinah glory. Oh, that that's better. Then that you've true. got right there, Jim the Man Renahan, right there on our screen. Hey, Jim. Hey, guys. How, How you are you? I'm all right, thanks. Nice to see you. Good to see you. It's been too long. I know it has, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry I left you on red uh, the other week when you're asking for my opinion on something that you were writing about. I did take a look at it. The summary of it looked really good. Uh, I think you're, you know, it's getting along very well. You should see Jim's face right now. (laughs) That's the look of incredulity. That's that's the look of, do I call him out? (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, if for for those of you who don't know, uh, which means you're not a real Baptist, which is okay, you can still become one. But if you don't know who uh, Jim the Man Renahan is, Doctor James Renahan, uh, he is what we would affectionately refer to as the Grand Puba of mm. Reformed Baptist theologians. The OG. The OG. Uh, he is a preacher, uh, pastor, mm-hmm. theologian, mm-hmm. author, and he's the president of a seminary. Yeah, IRBS. Now, All those things are true. Yeah. So, um, Jim, how long has the seminary been in operation at this point? Uh, well, that's a question that could be answered two ways. Right. Uh, we started in 1998 at Westminster Seminary, California, mm-hmm. 
And then after 20 years at Westminster, we moved here to Texas to develop a full seminary program. So in one sense, we're in our third year. In another sense, we're in our 23rd year. Awesome. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now, where in Texas, for those that don't know? Uh, Mansfield, which is DFW. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just uh, 30 minutes south of the airport. Okay. Okay. At any yeah. given time, how many guns are on campus? <laughs> Since you're in Texas, I yeah, fair, I assume. In, including, including the ones you carry. Yeah. <laughs> the safari hunting rifles. <laughs> J- J- if you okay, so, so Jim is actually wearing a, a really cool shirt and it, it's uh it's an Africa. It looks, it, it's a, it's an Africa. It's, I, I knew it was a shirt from Africa. I knew that. But then, yep. it, how did you figure that out, Joe? Well, it's got zebras and elephants and the continent and the continent of, of Africa, Africa all over it. I see it. That. You figure that out. I, I got and that. it's got right here, right? The, co- got the, the collar, collar and everything. Yeah, I that, really that. like it. Now, now, how, where did you get that shirt, Jim? I was curious. You started to tell um, me. Well, I've been to Africa twice, and I think it was a gift from some of the men I taught in Zambia uh, about six, seven years mm, ago. Cool. Um, I also have been to Namibia once, mm. I, but I think it was from Zambia. I wonder, do you wear that shirt more often? Or do you wear the Doctrine and Devotion t-shirt we gave you more often? Ah, uh, well, actually, I have two D&D t-shirts. Mm. I have the Ref 500 one also. Okay. Oh, okay. there we go. Um, and and they're in a rotation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's a nice way to put it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they are at the bottom of the shelf. Okay. <laughs> you made a dog pillow out of it. Okay. Well, no, it's it's it was 100 degrees here last week, and wearing a black T-shirt on a day that's 100 degrees is doesn't metal. make sense to me. You know what? No. Fair point. Fair I point. Don't yeah. understand that. Yeah. All I wear is black. So. What we wanted to do, we, we wanted to get uh, Dr. Renahan on the horn because we wanted to talk about his new book that's mm-hmm. coming out. Um, it's called For the Vindication of Truth, A Brief Exposition of the First London Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, Jim, could you explain for people, especially Steve McCoy, people like Steve McCoy, Steve who McCoy don't know does this not stuff, understand these things. Could you explain what the first London confession is and what the second London confession is. Sure. Well, Steve, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is he the real McCoy? He's real. He's, he's the real McCoy. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, the, the Baptists appear in London, the Calvinistic Baptists in the late 1630s, and they were under a great deal of pressure They were asked by the Westminster Assembly to write a confession of faith so that they could demonstrate who they were. And in 1644, they published their first London confession. It was revised about 15 months later in 1646. And then again, it was revised in 1651. The second London confession picks up a lot of the same material, but reformats it uh, following the Westminster confession. It was published in 1677. Or as your tattoo says, 1689. <laughs> Why don't we clear it up for everybody? The, the Written in 1677, I think it was a, a published in 88, and then 89, right. like 100 churches signed on for it, right? So that's yep. why it's yep. known as the 89 by many right. because of so, that final. It's so, but Jim, yeah. I, I want to make sure we hit this point. Mm. Is his tattoo incorrect? Well, no, there was a year 1689. Yeah, so yeah, so it signifies the year, not necessarily anything to do with the con- confession. Does it but signify the confession? In Dr. popular Jim? culture, mm. in popular culture today, yes, yes it does. Ah, now in academic learned men as if, as yourself. I like to refer to it as the second London rather. Mm. Which is how I refer to it. How I that's how I refer body, to it. it's it's well, wrong. No, Cuz what am I going to put uh Second London confession. I, I, I got I got second London above it. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jim. So, um Jimmy, like we've got like all these confessions and we always talk about 
the second London Confession. Like oh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's that's our jam. So the this first London Confession, if if the second London is the big daddy, if that's the one that is most commonly used, it came and later. And typically when people do an update, yeah. it's usually the better one. Yeah, you're not going back to, not, yeah. you don't want the previous operating system. It's like, it's, that's why we got rid of the West, Westminster, right? Yeah, because it was like, mm, meh. Mm, it's all right. Yeah. Why would you write a book on the first London Confession when most, I would say most, you know, uh, Calvinistic Baptists probably haven't, haven't read it, at least the ones that I know. Yeah, well, that's a fair question. Um, when I've taught my course that's called Baptist Symbolics, which is a study of Baptist confessions mm-hmm. of faith, um, I began at the beginning uh, with this 1644 Confession of Faith. And I typically would spend about three hours working my way through that confession before I got to the Second London. And over the years, many of my students and others who have attended that class have urged me to publish my lectures on the Second London. Mm. And in contemplating the possibility of doing that, I I realized that I really wanted to do the First London as a beginning because it is the basis, and Mm. a lot of it is taken up into Second London. So in many ways, it serves as a very important background to the Second London Confession of Faith. Uh, The the same churches uh, published the First London and mm-hmm. the second, although a lot more were involved in Second London, but right. those that published the first were also involved in the second. Some of the same men, uh, some father and son duos were involved. In the in the letter at the beginning of the Second London Confession, they assert that the theology of the two confessions is the same. Um, and uh, it, the First London, though it may be less well known, is really very important mm. in particular Baptist history. And so for all of those reasons, um, I decided to go ahead and, and before I did uh, or finished my confes- uh, commentary on Second London, I wanted to do the one on First London. And thankfully, the publishers have committed to a two-volume set. That's great. Oh, so, that's wonderful. So, so this is volume one, and volume two is due to them at the end of next year. So I still have about uh, nearly 18 months. The to end get of next year? Yeah, to I the w- publisher. Yeah. I, I was hearing that uh, I got a, a little birdie whispering to me that you oh. might have it done at the end of this year. Um, I don't know about that. Is it possible? Um, I don't know. I got a lot of teaching coming up. Mm. I'll, I'll, and, I'll, and, I'll, I'll substitute for you. And the, uh, the <laughs> so conference it sounds schedule like... <laughs> is coming back. So, <laughs> ah, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. We really want we really want that, but yeah. we're excited for this. This is good. So you mentioned the Baptist Symbolics, right? And mm-hmm. uh, included with the title of the book is Baptist Symbolics Volume One. For mm-hmm. for you know, I mean, for Steve, How I, I want I want to make sure that Steve understands these things, uh, Doctor Jim. What is Baptist Symbolics? Yeah. Okay. Well, Steve, um, Symbolics is an old word that Christians use to refer to confessions of faith. They symbolize the faith for us. They act as a symbol for the faith. So mm. uh, that's that's just an ancient word that was used uh, broadly to speak of confessions of faith. And of course, when you put the adjective Baptist at the front of it, it tells you that the focus mm-hmm. of attention will be on Baptist confessions of faith. And because of our theological commitments, primarily Calvinistic Baptist confessions mm-hmm. of faith. That's awesome. Mm. I love that. You, you've mentioned that the First London Confession is important for Baptists and understanding our history. And I think that's really clear, um, especially when you understand all the trouble that Baptists had constantly fighting off rumors about who they are and what they believe, like just 
people got us wrong all the time. That's uh, right. Now, but is the first London confession important for our souls? Um, one of the things that I love about it, and you see this in both of these confessions, but it, it turns you to Christ on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. It's not dry theology. It's a lively theology. And uh, I think working through it slowly and carefully is a really good demonstration of that. It, it, um, it, it helps us understand that our faith is a theological faith, but a, a faith that warms the heart and mm. calls us to devotion. It's sort of like maybe it's doctrine and devotion oh, together. Oh, yeah. I see what you did there. Yeah. 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 But, it, I, I, you know, that, that, that's a clever way to state it, but it really is true. Um, you know, it, 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 it calls you to worship God, the mm -hmm. triune God, and to give thanks to him for what he has done through Jesus Christ in granting us uh, the gift of salvation. It, it was, uh, as I was reading, by the way, thank you. W when does this book come out? The, the one we're talking about? I don't have a date yet. Okay. Um, uh, hopefully before the end of this year, but certainly the beginning of next year. Wow. Well, I don't want to flex on everybody, but Jimmy and I already got it, and we're reading yeah. that. Yeah, so that's uh, sorry, everybody. I didn't know if we're allowed to talk. I didn't realize we were I'm, allowed I'm to talk asking. about that. I'm not oh, asking. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm but you guys okay. haven't sent in your checks yet to cover oh, that. Oh, okay. Oh, listen, all right, right, Jim, be cool. Yeah, and Jimmy's, be cool. On, Jimmy's in charge of finances, so that's not, obviously <laughs> yeah, I, that's not me. Uh, do you take Chase QuickPay? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Take the name. Do you take Bitcoin? No. Oh. So, um, in, in reading through this, um, you, you point out that. Like with any of these documents, there are sources involved uh, from which mm -hmm. people are drawing, right? They don't start from, you know, scratch entirely. There are influences yeah. and things like that. And you point to uh, the true confession as one mm -hmm. of the primary sources and uh, William Ames, the marrow of sacred divinity. Could you mm -hmm. just explain what those two things are and how they generally function as a source when our Baptist forefathers are putting together this confession? Yeah, that that's a really important question. Um, about half of the 52 or 53 articles, it depends on which version you're looking at, come from a document that was originally written in 1596 called the True Confession. It was the confession of a, uh, an exiled separatist church in the Netherlands, uh, British, English, um, pastored by, among others, Henry Ainsworth, who was regarded across the board as one of the leading Hebraists of the day. His commentary on the Pentateuch and on the Psalms, even today, is available and is really worth having. Very devotional, but also very deep in terms of its understanding of how uh, these Old Testament books are put together and, and how theology can be drawn out of them. Um, one difference that you see in First London compared to 1596 True Confession is that the True Confession is razor sharp. Uh, these people were in exile, mm. and they wrote they wrote. Uh, with a certain level of vehemence mm -hmm. against the Church of England, where the Baptists didn't do that. They took out all of that language. They, they smoothed out all of the rough places. Uh, it's because it's intended to be uh, a, an appeal to others that they are orthodox right. and that they should be accepted by these people who are considered to be Christian brothers. So about half of it is from 1596 True Confession. The next largest source is from William Ames, another Englishman in exile uh, in the Netherlands and in Germany. He was actually present at the Synod of Dort. He was a legend in Britain, a very, very important theologian. And uh, his Marrow of Sacred Divinity was translated into English 
in the 1630s, and the Baptists took chunks out of that, especially, but not solely, the sections where Ames writes about the offices of Christ, mm-hmm. prophet, priest, and king. And they lifted that right straight out of Ames's marrow of sacred divinity and put it into their confession. Now, that wasn't plagiarism back then. Mm. Today, <laughs> we would have a little bit of trouble with that, but that was the common practice in right. its day. And no one would have accused them of plagiarism because they would have recognized right away that they're using these other documents to put together their confession. So those those between those two, this is just off the top of the head, I would say those two probably account for about two-thirds of the material in the first London Confession of Faith. And those are those are really solid uh, orthodox statements of faith. Mm. Now, when you talk about tone, right, and you know in our day and culture there's all this like tone police and everything, but you mentioned mm-hmm. about uh, the razor sharpness of it and the context behind that. Uh, I mean, is there something to be said about how we approach uh, interacting with those that we are either in disagreement with or maybe trying to clarify our position with? Yeah, I think so. I I mean, let's acknowledge that there are times when Paul has to go to Peter and stand before him with his face, in his face, and tell him you're wrong. Mm -hmm. There there are times for that. But the Baptists recognized that their confession of faith was not that time. Um, They were in danger. They, 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 They could have been put in jail. In fact, even as late as 1647 or 48, there were attempts that were made to outlaw them and to suppress them by members of parliament. So they they were adopting a tone of pacification. Um, they were peacemakers. They were kind of saying, if we can use a modern type idiom, hey, hey, you know, take it easy on us. We're okay. Here's the proof of it. Here's our demonstration of it. So that, that was their purpose. And I, I think that there's a lesson there that uh, it's the Paul standing up to Peter in rare occurrences mm-hmm. Mm. Where in our day mm. and age, we, we, we live in a toxic culture that is more ready to go toe-to-toe than it is to, to humbly look and say, would you please hear what I have to say? Uh, here, here's what I want to express to you in a peaceful manner, not in a pugilistic manner. Well, and that's just it, right? Like in our, in our culture, I mean, I, I can look and see, or at least I, I envision that the, uh, the writers of the Confession of the Second London would be viewed as almost beta males. Right. Yeah. Oh, and the tone police. Here the, come the tone police. Oh, here comes the tone yeah. police. Right. Uh, instead of, uh, and as you put it, right, we're so, it, it was a rare occasion that uh, Paul felt the need for that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and it's true that there are times when we have to do that. But right. really, what we ought to do is be peaceable and humble and gentle and show love and courtesy to others. And, and really, that's what the Baptists are trying to do. And I think that, like, to me, it makes sense <clears throat> if, we really believe that we have the word of God and mm-hmm. that we, by God's grace, have a grasp on it. It's like I, I watch guys that I consider to be heavyweights, right? Uh, people like yourself, to be honest, um, who are great. No, I've been thinking you're looking great, Jim. Uh, you yeah, know, so you've been working out. You've been boxer, not not fatty. I'm not saying he's fat. I'm saying he's heavyweight boxer. Oh, see, okay. I want to say, Jim, I got yeah. your back. No, no, yeah. So <laughs> thanks to me. When I when I see like if you if if you've ever known a real tough guy, like a scary tough guy, he doesn't talk about being a tough guy mm. and he's not generally looking for a fight. Yeah. Uh, and if he has to get in one, 
it ends quick. And with, I, I've seen you interact with people and you are a great theologian. I, I know what you could do to somebody if they wanted to pick a fight with you theologically, but you've always demonstrated kindness and humility and patience, which is really important when talking to people who differ from you, yeah, which yeah. gives you greater influence into their lives anyways than constantly yelling at them like they're a bunch of dummies and don't take theology seriously. Well, that's very kind of you. Thanks. Now, um, for those who do take theology seriously. Yeah. For those for the who, Renahans of the world, for the for the future Renahans, for the, yeah. I mean, we had a Renahan kick us off, and we're going to have a Renahan this year, right? It's it's a it's a this is going to be a Renahan Renaissance. The Renahan that's Renaissance what this is going to be. This is our this is our R and R. This is our fourth <coughs> annual conference. It's going down right here in Chicagoland, September eighteenth and nineteenth. We've got. Renahan Jr. Sam Renahan. Sam Renahan, great theologian, great preacher. Um, now, Jim, what do you think? Do you think he's up for the task? He's going to be talking about covenant theology. Uh, he probably could handle it. He I can think, handle yeah. a little bit. Okay, Pro probably. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All I know is yeah. that uh, <laughs> is that his book is amazing. Well, his books are amazing. I'm going to yeah. tell you what I like about Sam. Sam obviously knows doctrine, but he can write it and explain it to people. At, like Steve McCoy. Yeah. At the McCoy level. Yeah, that, he, that's not everybody can do that. The real McCoy level, yeah. yeah. Not everybody can do that. He writes like that primer uh, on impassibility is the perfect introduction. I can give that to anybody in my church. Well, yeah. the guy yeah. is solid. So he is going to be teaching on covenant theology, God's promises for God's people. Uh, Jimmy and I will do a little bit of preaching mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and we're going to have the most awesome fellowship time we've had at, at a conference yet. All of that's coming together from information to register to get all the details. Go to doctrineanddevotion.com slash conference. Figure it out there. Now, not to take away from Sam, I, right? We've we done our mid-roll. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've, all our we love for get, Sam. Yeah, okay. Sam, yeah, we're yeah. done. We're done with Sam. We're done. With, Jim, when are we going to do something again? When are we going to get together again? Uh, when I would love to. Okay. I'd be happy oh, to. Yeah. yeah, I love that. You know, I'm loving to hear this. We could do just yeah. a small regional one. Ooh. We could, we, we could have it up here. Have it up here. We can go down go south. Down, go down there. Go down to Texas. Have it somewhere in between. Ooh. Yeah, we're gonna have to find. We're gonna have to find something to do, Jim. We miss you. I know, yeah, well, you know who I, wants to I have you guys too. I, I've heard that uh, what's it, Southeastern, one of the Southern Baptist seminaries, they're willing to host us. Ooh, so uh, right, we might how have to about bring in out. some, bring in some bring in reformed the, Baptist theology right into the bring in the big guns. Yeah, I like that. All right, we're, we're working out. So speaking of semin seminary, yeah. right? Like, how are things going at the the seminary there? I know you guys. You said you know we've been going for maybe three years, or I think you even mentioned twenty something years, possibly. Um, uh, with the with being on site now in Texas, how are you seeing you know uh, uh, what's it called enrollment? Yeah, um, well, strangely, uh, the coronavirus has helped us significantly mm. um, because we, like everybody else, we had to pivot very quickly to distance learning. Yeah, uh, we 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 were in a lockdown situation; we couldn't have regular classes. And that has significantly increased our enrollment. I was I was in England the week that everything fell apart. Oh. In fact, I was on the last scheduled flight out of Manchester back to the U.S. on March sixteenth, oh, wow. the day before everything was was locked up. It was really eerie flying that day. I came into Philadelphia. There was nobody in the airport. No one. Wow. Got changed planes. Got to Dallas. Nobody in the airport. It was it was amazing. But anyways, I had taught a class, and seven men in Britain signed up for that class and uh, were able to participate. And several of them have continued on with us 
in the other classes that we're now doing online. Mm-hmm. So we have we have four international students, but our enrollment in in all of the classes that we have going in the spring, summer, fall is 29 right now, which is the highest we've ever had. Great. But it's really because of the the way that we had to pivot to uh, to distance learning. So. Up, uh, oh, somebody didn't turn on. Uh-huh. Turned on. Hey, that's right, and I that know. was Jimmy. Joe. Mm-hmm. It was nope. me. It was yeah. me. It was my watch yeah. went off. Sorry. So, uh, yeah. so, I, so, so, are you, so you're so going to continue by that. So, are you going to continue with the uh, the online learning once uh, COVID has settled down? Sorry, Joe, I have to cut you off. Um, that's a, that's an interesting question, and I I don't know really what the future holds. We've we've made the decision for the most part in the fall semester to stay with uh, distance learning. So for example, tomorrow afternoon, I've got a class that I teach from my living room, uh, Introduction to Puritanism. Mm-hmm. There's, I think, nine or 10 students in that. And I, so we set up a little studio and I stand in front of the fireplace and I look at a camera and they're all there on Zoom and it, it works nicely. But hopefully Richard Barcelos will be coming to Mansfield in September to teach his course in person. So I, it, 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 things are fluid, mm. you know, mm. it, you understand why. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. So, of course. If yeah. I re- now, correct me if I'm wrong, because every once in a while I am, I, my, my <laughs> recollection is that you really weren't interested in doing online education when you were starting the seminary in Texas, when you were like transitioning. Um, was that, because I know you, va- I remember you valuing in class, in person, the conversational, dialogical context of it all. Um, has uh, having so, first of all, am I correct in remembering you weren't really a fan? And then, av- having done this now, do you see it as having more potential than you originally thought? Um, part A of your question: Yes, our preference was to be a residential school. Part B to your question, let me make it a, a, a part B1 and B2, okay? okay? Uh, you know that my daughter is a university student in Chicago. She's a graduate student. And she's been home since March 16th. She flew home to DFW the same day that I did from London, and we actually met at the airport and came home. She's been here ever since. She's coming back to Chicago this weekend. But her school in Chicago is going to do distance learning. And she's in, she's in a music major. Uh, opera singer. Wow. And it's incredibly difficult for them to do that. Yeah. yeah. And so she, you know, she is giving me her input as to how difficult it is and how, how much preference there is to having in-person learning. Okay. But on the other hand, I would say that what, what we have done has allowed us to be of service to men who couldn't be here in Mansfield with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we have a Hebrew class that's going live in a couple of weeks, and it also will have students from Great Britain, uh, I think uh, Quebec, Canada, and the United States in it. So y- y- there, are, there are benefits and advantages that we simply couldn't have if everything were done residential. But at the same time, it's not exactly the same. So... Uh, one, one, one more question on this. Um, it, it seems like even when you guys started before the pandemic, it's, it did seem like you were still putting out video content for people. Um, and so is, is that another way? So there, will there always be video content? People can buy the course or get access to the courses afterwards or some of them? Yeah, the video content that we were putting out and, and which is available were 
um, continuing education courses that we did years ago when, when we were in California. Okay. Um, and those will be continue to be available. The, pardon me, the, um, courses that we're currently doing online, we do make available to auditors, okay. uh, and to list, uh, to someone with a listener's pass and they have different privileges sure. depending on which status they, they choose. Um, so those, those are available, uh, right now and we'll continue to do so. Um, I, I don't know what will happen after this semester, although I yeah. suspect that we will continue in some way to have some distance learning, especially because it helps uh, students overseas to be able to participate mm-hmm. in, in our program. So, I, Jimmy, that's a great question. It has been in my mind constantly. I just don't know what the answer is at this point. You can, you can pray for us that God would give mm-hmm. us wisdom to know how to handle this. Well, and if Mike Beck is listening to this, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Beck. <laughs> I know exactly what he's thinking. <laughs> well, you know what they say about, you know, plans and everything, right? Well, like the, the, the great prophet, um, Mike Tyson said, everyone oh, has a plan to get punched in the face, to get punched in the face. COVID gave you a punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, it did. Speaking of COVID, um, how can you tell us a little bit about the church? I mean, you've moved to Texas, so you know you're at a new church. Well, new, not relatively new. But you've been there three years, but you know you're at a you had to make a new church home or find a new church home. Um, tell us about your church and um, how you guys have handled this pandemic as a congregation. Yeah, they they uh, what they've done is be very careful to follow all the guidelines that the governor and you know Texas has a kind of strange new to me system of government in that each county has a judge who's not really a judge. He's a county administrator, but he is sort of like the mini governor of each county. Mm. And in the Texas system, Governor Abbott has certain responsibilities. And then the judge has other responsibilities under the governor. And so the, the church has been careful to follow the guidelines that have been issued by the state of Texas. It's very different to California. Um, here, uh, the church was able to begin meeting again, I think it was in May. Uh, they were sh- shut down here for about two months, but the church has been able to meet since May. And basically everything is normal now, uh, prayer meeting, morning worship, uh, afternoon worship. Awesome. Wonderful. Awesome. Wonderful. So, so good to hear. Jim, if people want to... Um, check out the seminary. Maybe they want to audit a class. Maybe they want to roll. I mean, we push it all the time because such sharp teachers, such, such a great program. Uh, where do they go? Where do they go online? And, uh, and also curious about your social media, how people can connect with you guys that way. So uh, tell us about the website. Okay. It's irbsseminary.org. And there are two S's in the middle, irbsseminary.org. Uh, Facebook, it's IRBS Theological Seminary uh, that we're on there. Um, and they can find us either way and contact uh, our administrator and set things mm. up. What about uh, what about TikTok? You on the TikTok? What? He's not on He's TikTok. He's on the TikTok. You gotta get on are you on TikTok? No. If you're I have on t- a, oh, my goodness. If, if he was on clock downstairs that... <laughs> No, you know, okay, TikTok, okay, but. boomer. Listen, we're not talking about TikTok. <laughs> Jim, thanks so much for for being oh, on with thanks us. Thanks so much. Appreciate your ministry so much, and um, how you My have pleasure. been a, a, a true help and mentor and uh, spiritual father to so many people. Mm-hmm. I hear from so many people. So thank you for all of that, and um, 
we're going to have a little bit more Mr. Dr. Grand Poobah Renahan uh, for Thursday's episode too. So stay tuned for that. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can follow us online on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can head to the website, DrDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast or hit up the store, JoeFoStore.com and grab some gear. Fresh pot every Monday and Thursday. Blog post on Wednesdays. Later. Thank you.